Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Welcome to this session on Is Addiction Really Life or Death? My name is Alan. I'm a recovering sexaholic. I will be your leader for this session. In the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry this mes- to carry the message, this session will be recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during this session. If you do not wish to be recorded, you may participate by listening or attend another session. We ask that those who choose to share step up to the microphone so that those who listen to the recording can follow the discussion. Will you please join me in the opening with the surrender prayer, please? <coughs> prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose. Sexholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and to help others to achieve sexual sobriety. Because our common welfare comes first, here are the guidelines for sharing during this meeting. We do not crosstalk. That is, we share with the group as a whole rather than addressing any individual member. We speak in the I, not the we or the you. We leave our identities at the door, including politics, religions, therapies, treatment centers, occupations, or other 12-step issues. We speak about and from the SA point of view. Our meetings focus on the SA approach to recovery, so whenever possible, we avoid the mention of titles or authors that are not SA-approved literature. We avoid profanity, sexual descriptions, and sexually abusive language. When sharing strays, we can remind each other of our commitment to these guidelines by quietly raising our hands. The doctor's opinion. Alcoholics Anonymous. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Page 30, Alcoholics Anonymous. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. Page 44. To be doomed an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. Page 75. He should realize that we are engaged on a life and death errand. Page 24. Cling to the thought that, in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. Page 150. They have a new attitude. They have been saved from a living death. My name is Alan. I'm a sexaholic. 
I'm really grateful to be here today, and <clears throat> I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to say, except that, you know, is this disease really uh, deadly, is the topic. And all I can tell you is from my experience and uh, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I'm probably going to go in a somewhat unrandom order, but hopefully it'll have meaning at the end of it. But you know, the solution says we saw that our problem was threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And for me, when I started thinking about death, okay, how can I share my experience on a physical death? I can't. I mean, yeah, it's quite impossible. But what about the emotional death that I suffered at the hands of the disease? The physical death that I suffered at the hands of this disease? And both of those deaths got me to the point where on November 17th, 2002, I made the plan. I made the plan to... Go jack up my pull, go pull off on the side of the road on the interstate, jack up my car, step in front of the first passing tractor trailer truck. So the emotional and spiritual death led to what was going to be my physical death. And what happened? Uh, my spouse, Vicki, who had no idea the nature of the disease of sexualism, said to me, she said, it's not you, it's your disease. That kept me alive. I used to think that was what happened. Or I used to think what happened was, you know, I got arrested in a park for having sex with a man. I used to think that was what happened. But what happened was in that moment when she said, it's not you, it's your disease. That's what happened. What was it like to get there, though? It's like what it's said in the big book. I pursued the illusion that somehow, someway, it would be different this time. You know? Well, I'll just fantasize about this person. Or I'll just look at a little pornography. Or I'll just watch the squiggly lines on the TV for a little while. Or I'll just swing by to see what's going on, see if there's anybody different. Or I'll just, I'll just, I'll just. Yeah, it, it's never different. But the illusion that somehow, some way, I could control it was always there. The step one, I admitted I was powerless over lust that my life had become unmanageable. I knew I was powerless. I knew I was powerless from the time I was about 18 years old. You know, I make those promises to God. God, I don't want to masturbate tonight. Not going to masturbate tonight. And the next day, you know, well, next time, God. Whatever promise I made, I never kept. And that went on for a long, long time. But I never could see that my life was unmanageable. I wasn't hurting anybody. This was just me. You know, it's just masturbating. I wasn't unfaithful to my wife. I wasn't married at the time. I said, everything's okay. Then I got married. Well, that was going to fix me. We all know that story. Those of us who've been married and thought that our spouses were going to fix us because we'd have a steady supply of sex right there on hand. 
<coughs> well, I know we all know how that worked out. But when faced with the point of the best choice that I could come up with was to give my family the insurance money, I had to finally admit that yes, indeed, my life had become unnatural. And it got me, thankfully, to the point I was willing to do whatever it took. It's like the big book says in chapter 5, if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, and I was, my ass was on fire, and I was willing. And so somebody said, well, you need to go over to this little trailer here in Nashville, Tennessee, and they have these meetings called SA. Okay. What's that? Well, it's a 12-step program for people with sexual addiction. Oh, okay. I believed in the 12 steps. I've been exposed to the 12 steps. I understood, or I thought I understood the 12 I knew what the 12 steps said. Let me rephrase that. I'd read them. So on November, or excuse me, October 24, 2002, I walked into this little blue trailer. Went around the room. People said, I'm sexaholic, been so sexually sober. You know, one guy said, 17 years. I'm like, Another guy said, 61 days. I'm like, my God, how do you go 61 days without masturbating? Because I had 17 years, I couldn't fathom that. But 61 days, I could kind of get my little brain around that. He was in my newcomer's meeting. His name was Harold. And Harold is dead today. He died in this addiction. So is the disease really deadly? Physically it was for Harold. Emotionally and spiritually it was for me. good news is, is there is good news. I mean, I've been rather depressing up to this point, I have to say, but it's a very sobering topic. I really was wanting the other topic, to be honest with you, and I got God gave me this one. But, you know, what's it say in the solution? Each new step of surrender, surrender felt we would be off the edge into oblivion. Into oblivion. But instead of killing me, surrender was killing the obsession. And that's the good news. I got to surrender. I didn't get that all those years that I was acting out. I thought if I prayed the right way or if I, you know, just had the right kind of sex or had the right kind of fantasy or had the right kind of partner or had the right kind of this or blah, 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 blah. That wasn't it. It was about me giving up. Just absolutely, utterly and completely giving up. Just quitting. I surrender. And that left me in an awful place. Because what does step three say? Step three says, came to believe, it's just to turn my will and my life over the care of God as I understood Him. There's the awful place. God. Who? I didn't have God. I didn't have a God as I understood Him. I had a God as my parents understood Him. I had a God as my church understood Him. 
had a God as my religion understood it. I didn't have a God that I understood. And that's where you all came in. You all said, that's okay, Al. You can have my God. Or think of it this way, Al. Think of God as good, orderly direction. Maybe you need to think of God as a group of drunks. Whatever works for you, Alan. Oh, I can do that. Sure. Just, you know. You just have to do two things every day, Alan. Earn two points every day. Okay. What's that? Breathe. You know, it's necessary for physical life, breathing. And stay sober. It's, you know, my two points. <coughs> when I got arrested and uh, told my employer they did not look too kindly upon it. And they asked me to leave. And so I was without employment, which was probably pretty good because it allowed me to go to lots of meetings. Uh, but at the same time, I needed to work and support my family, and my wife wasn't working because we had had a child. And we were running out of money, and I was looking for a job, and looking for a job, and looking for a job. And I did a surrender, and I, was like, I couldn't find a job. My sponsor went out of town one weekend. I was going crazy. I gotta find a job. And I just kept calling people. I was like, I can't find a job. Well, you gotta surrender it out. Oh, okay. What is it? What is it? Surrender it. Okay. And finally, I called this guy. I thought he was my grand sponsor. <coughs> and I called him up and I said, uh, Well, I can't give him blah, 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 blah. Breathe. Oh. What is that? I can't find a job. I gotta find a job. Blah, 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 blah. Stop. Breathe. He said, You need to surrender. Gee, good. Golly, surrender. And finally I said, How? He said, Well, you know, you got a resume? Yeah. Fax it to three, to three headhunters. Okay. That's it? Yeah. So I took the resume, I faxed it to three owners. Did I get a job from that? No. But did it break the obsession? Yes. Absolutely. Why? Because I stopped trying to solve the problem. One of those things that I read, you know, is the obsession. The obsession that somehow I will be like a normal drinker again. Many of us pursue that to the gates of insanity or death. That somehow, some way, I will not have this disease. I spent, you know, the next year trying to figure out why I had the disease. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. You know, there's lots of reasons why. Are any of them material to the two points I have to earn every day? No. I have to breathe and I have to stay sober. Does it matter why? No. It's just what I have to do to stay alive. And I know that today. I am blessed with the knowledge of that today as sure as I'm sitting here. find any references in the big book or the white book step four about death but step five no I take that back page 66 resentment is infinitely grave we found that it is fatal for when harboring such feelings we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit the insanity of lust returns and we drink again and with us to drink is to die you know, step four. 
and a searching, fearless moral inventory of ourselves. A book that tells me exactly what to do, what to put down. And then step five, I read that earlier, you know. We go to someone, admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. And it tells us right there in the book, we go to someone and we tell them we are on a life and death errand. When approached in such a manner, most people will be happy to hear us. I've been missing that my whole life. I told myself, I've been telling myself for years, you know, I've got all these problems. I have sex outside my marriage, all these other character defects, cheat on my businesses, all these other hate my wife because she's not sexual enough. Resentment. I have four or five people you know, just carry them around, just bucketfuls of resentment. One of them stops working for me, I'll just go pick up the other one. Admitted to God, I did that all the time, you know. Very active in my religion. Go down, get prayed over, get hands laid on me, get all anointed, all that stuff I've done it. Admit to myself, yeah, millions of times. I don't ever want to overwatch this. Another human being. You all. I had to admit it to you all. And then I had to have you all nod your heads, laugh, fall asleep, drool. To understand that, oh, okay, I'm not really that unique. I'm just another part of the human race that has this disease. And, well, I kind of empty out that bucket full of shame in steps four and five. Six and seven. Eight and nine, I've got to start kind of cleaning up that mess. Page 76. Now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps 8 and 9. I didn't realize that. I knew it said it there, but then it says it also on page 88, right before the 12th step. There is action and more action. Faith without works is dead. And this comes back to this idea of surrender. You know, I get through with six and seven. I'm like, okay, God, how are you going to take away my character defects? I don't know, but eight and nine are after six and seven. So that's what I do. Then I get through that and I get to ten. Get to continue to take that inventory. That's the... That's the spiritual solution right there. Get to the the answer right there in 10. 10, 11, and 12. I was in a meeting one time. So you got to dig it up, you got to clean it up, and you got to keep it up. It's sort of the Reader's Digest version of steps. But, you know, 10, I get to take that inventory every day. And to get to stay in that spiritual plane. And then I get to 12. Page 124. Big book. Cling to the thought that in God's hands the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. That's the paradox. That's the other... I mean, here I am, dead. Emotionally and spiritually dead. Ready to die physically. And that pain 
is the greatest asset I have. And it says, I can avert misery or death in others. Do they get helped out of it? I don't know, sometimes. But I, I really get helped out of it. It keeps me alive. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God as I understood Him. Praying only for knowledge of His will for me and the power to carry that out. I'm back to God again. Ugh. Of course, by the time I got here, you know, the ass one's on fire. Everything's homostasis had been reached. I started to say everything was good, but that's not true. They've just been detente. But I kept it up. And I kept it up. And the, the, the rewards are just immeasurable. I don't really have to worry about what I told anybody today. I don't have to worry about where I'm at. When I go home and see my wife and my kids, I don't have to worry about where I've been. I don't have to drive home in the 16 degree weather with the windows down, smoking a cigar to cover up the smells. I get to live in the world. I get to be here now with you all. That is a gift. Some people say the gift of the present. It's a present. The present of the present. Come up with a few more pithy sayings. But they keep me so... God, gift of desperation. So having had this spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, I try to carry this message to other sexaholics and practice these principles in all our affairs. And I do that because this really is a life or death matter to me. Every day. Every day I get to wake up and decide if I want to live or if I want to die. Today I choose life. It's a lot better than the alternative. Because my life is fun today. It's enjoyable. It's happy. It's joyous. It's free. I'm really glad to be here and be sober. I'm not sure. If you want to share, just come on up. Uh, please limit your shares to a couple of minutes and other stuff that I said before. Or I can take questions. Either way. Thanks. John H. a recovering lustaholic. I can agree um, with the spiritual death and the emotional, physical in your life. But it, it started for me in 1964 and went on until 85. Fortunately, there were people in my life that came in, and I believe a higher power that came in. Some kid comes along and gives me a book on dreams. And that got me into spirituality. I began to realize, you know what I'm doing here. I'm, I, I, I prayed on women with an E. I stopped praying with an A. 
And when I did that, things started to go haywire as hell. And I was dead spiritually. And it was gradually when people, like with dreams, I began to see, oh, there's something here. You know, if I honor the dreams, they're trying to tell me this is what is important. And as I followed that, that led to, to uh, listening. I met, I met an alcoholic, recovering alcoholic. And he was another kind of come around and pulled me out of the... It was like I was in quicksand. And the kid with dream, he threw me a plank, you know, kept me afloat. The alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, pulled me more out of it. Then a spiritual director came in in 1982. And I began to pray again. But it would all took that time. In 85, I, I was, the program found me. I go to an AA meeting, and some woman that I had acted on asked, you would like to go to an AA meeting? I said, yeah. And there's a guy there. After the meeting, I go up and I say, yeah. you know, I don't have a problem with the bottle, but I do with women. And there's some kid staring back named Chris. He says, you know, in Portland, Oregon, they just started an essay meeting here. There's some guy named Harry that's here. Some of you may know him. Well, I finally got, I've made contact with him New Year's Eve. I went to my first meeting and joined SA. It found me. And then I went, I went back to the foreign country that I was working in, and that was a mistake. Because I was going back into the area that was slippery. I had no sponsor. I had no person I could work with. I would do it on myself. I started meetings, but they didn't go anywhere. So after 22 months, I fell. And it took until 90, August 6th of 91 to finally wake up and say, i got to get out of here. I'm dead. I'm trying to get out. But I, I got a bucket going to fetch water, but it got a hole in the bucket. And it all drops out. And when that did that, action, relationships with women that had gone on for 25 years was lifted. Thank God. But it took another six months, six years in order to get sober from acting out with myself. So, you know, the program does work, but there's so many. I was living in an area where AIDS began, you know. How I didn't die or get is amazing. Somebody was watching over me. And I have to respect that. You know, so it's been 18 years since I acted out with a woman. That's only because God was with me. So, so it's, 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 as we said, thank you for your share that it is death dying. And I didn't realize that. I thought I was enlivened by it, you know. And it seemed that way, but it was false. So thank you. Thanks, John. Hi, I'm Tanya. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. And um, for me, this nearly did cost me my life, uh, my physical life. Um, My main form of acting out was chatting with guys and then meeting them in person and acting out with them. Well, heaven only knows what could have happened to me, meeting strange men I didn't know in strange places. Um, you know, I could have easily been raped, killed, gotten a disease, any one of a number of things. But also, um, as our uh, speaker shared, I was very suicidal. I probably attempted suicide at least six or seven times and um you know, again, it was only by the grace of God and the fact that uh, I kept picking non-lethal methods of killing myself that uh, kept me alive. So, uh, so I'm grateful that uh, there was a part of me that, no matter how miserable I got, I wanted to be alive. And, um, but I was intrigued by the idea of emotional death and spiritual death. Uh, you know, I have always focused on my recovery in terms of this could cost me my life. But uh, it is more than just my physical life. Um, it's my emotional life and my spiritual life. And um, emotionally, I was dead to everyone except my own misery. And um, dead to everything except the idea that I needed to get this pleasure. I needed to get this kick. I needed to get a relationship, whatever it took to make me happy. And I wasn't looking at all the obvious places that God had for me to be happy and joyous and free. You know, Not only in uh, sobriety, but in the fact that I have two wonderful kids, I have wonderful friends, um, I'm working on a career, 
um, I have God. You know, that's um, a great part of uh, emotional and spiritual life. And uh, spiritually, you know, I was going around uh, saying, well, I'm, gonna, I'm starting seminary and I'm going to be a minister and I'm going to be a chaplain and acting out. I mean, how spiritually dead, more dead can you be than to throw a gift that God has uh, given me and uh, just hurl it back in God's face? And that's basically what I was doing. So I'm grateful to be reminded that it's not just my physical life that's at stake, but my spiritual and my emotional life. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Warren. I'm a sexaholic. Thank you for the lead. I really got a lot out of that. I identified tremendously. Um, the insanity of changing the words, the insanity of lust returns and we act out again. And with us to act out is to die. I, I really uh, relate to that emotionally and spiritually. Um, I joined the program in uh, 96, January, so it's a sort of an anniversary. And um, something has taken on in the last few weeks. Um, uh, sometimes I think it says some are sicker than others, and I identify with that statement. But I, I really gravitate towards the emotional and spiritual death. And uh, what leads up to it, or he talks about resentment. And uh, <coughs> I really have to just say this. I really love Bob and Bill and Roy Kay because without them, I don't. I really don't think I'd be alive. Emotional and spiritual death for me is is like death. It's almost like physical death right here. Because to live a life of just you know, looking for the next hit and the next trigger is just is just total escape from reality. Total escape from reality. Um, and a lot of the problems I have are due to that. Escape. My financial woes, um, flare-ups with people, with, with uh, bosses. Uh, many of the life's issues are all caught up in that uh, looking at the next hit. So I am grateful to be here today. I've been to many, many conferences. Um, just when I heard that it's going to be in Nashville, right away I started thinking, Harvey, Harvey, i got to be there. i got to be there. And uh, I can't thank the people enough in this program. It's all you people and all the experience, strength, and hope. Every single one, from the person who has a day to a person who has 20, 30 years, every single person, I really mean this, I, I relate to and I, I benefit from. And I, I could not do it on my own, so I thank everybody. Thank you. I'm Edwin, recovering sex addict. Yeah. And uh, is this is this disease life or death? There was a time when I, back when I went to college, my best friend and I went to school together, and his dad had been an alcoholic, so he decided he was not going to drink. And uh, because of my religious background, I decided I wasn't going to drink. And uh, we went to a party one night, and he drank. And uh, then he said, well, I'll never get drunk. Okay. We went to another party and he got drunk. And he said, well, I'll never get drunk again. Okay. And we went to another party and he got drunk again. And I remember nights when I had to uh, roll him in his bed and make sure he was face down with his head over the side of the bed so that he wouldn't puke in his sleep. And I remember thinking how much better I am than he is. Because... I still haven't drunk. And he said, well, of course, I'll never take drugs. And then he went out and found another friend, and they started smoking pot. And I don't know where it went from there. We, we kind of parted ways. And I remember so long thinking how much better I am than him because I never drank. And it's not really till I got into this program that I realized, no, I'm not better than him. He, he drinks. I lust. And he may not have ever had to put me in my bed to make sure that I didn't puke all over myself and die in my sleep. 
but my my sickness is just as likely to kill me as his is to kill him if if in fact he has alcoholism I don't know we haven't spoken in years so but what's amazing to me is the number of times before I got in the program I saw or heard about people who had struggles or got into trouble or ended up committing adultery or going to jail because they were child molesters and I thought well at least I'm not like that at least all I do is masturbate and look at pornography mm-hmm. and well of course then I lust and then there's sex with inanimate objects and then there's but at least I didn't do that whatever it was and uh, since I've been in the program I'm a, I'm a preacher and found out about another preacher in my spiritual fellowship who's gone to jail because of his sex addiction and he doesn't even know that's what it is. He just knows that he molested a 13-year-old. And uh, since I've been in the program, there's a different attitude. I realize that if it weren't for the grace of God in this program, that would have been me. And... Uh, I'm not better than him. He's not worse than me. We're suffering from the same sickness. And it is life or death. The phrase locked up, covered up, or sobered up. Those are my three choices. And that's why I'm here today. And I appreciate you guys being here as well. Thanks. My name is Yosef. I'm a sexaholic today. It is a miracle that I'm here. This is a miracle. I always knew everything. And I really can't believe that I'm here. When did I forget everything that I knew? I'm not sure when it happened. I forgot everything that I knew. And that's a blessing, I guess. Thanks for the share, Alan. <coughs> and for me, um, death. I came into the program defeated. That's why I came to the program. I really was defeated. And yet I found myself playing games like, well, is this really going to kill me, like alcoholic or not? And like, as if unless it kills me physically, then then um, why do I need to stay sober? Which is, is that not death? To have a complete lack of value for the time that I will be alive, that nothing matters unless I actually die physically? That is death for me. That is death, to be in that place where where I play these games and say, well, I'm not going to, my acting up won't make me die. That's death. Because I have a complete lack of appreciation and lack of connection with the value of my life and the opportunity and the value of, of the world and of the experience of life. And that is death for me. And more specifically, um, it's good for me to say this out loud because a lot of times I like to like figure things out in my head and then come and share some, you know, portray something. It's all, it's all garbage. For me, when I'm not showered for three days or brushed my teeth and stains all over my clothes and stepping over the back of my shoes in in 20 below um, ice cold Montreal hiding in the shadow of some minivans or cars rummaging through a recycling bin to in search of some sexual stimulating material I'm, I'm dead I'm so dead I am so, so dead. I'm so dead. And and when I'm in um, the streets of Buenos Aires and 3 o'clock in the morning, I decide that I need to get myself into a private booth in an internet cafe and do what I need to do. And the, the entirety of reality, I was talking about this with my sponsor, like in today's movies, they know how to make everything in the background very fuzzy and and only focusing on the thing and that's what happens to me when I act out 
the entirety of reality becomes background noise. There's no weather, there's no rain, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing. It's an extent of obsession with myself and whatever my last object is, that's, it's, it's, it's paralysis, complete paralysis. And then after I act out, what happens is I'm so disconnected with the world that I become all fuzzy. And uh, the background music and the world goes on. And then that becomes too unbearable, so I need to bring myself back into sharper contrast, so I act out again. This is death. This is death for me. I'm grateful for my sponsor who, who, um, who would tell me things like in early sobriety, like, you know, acting out is not an option. And I would think in my head, like, oh, you're so cool, you're sober for seven years. You know I'm only in beginning sobriety. What are you, for me, it is an option. And he'd be like, he'd just make a face, like, you know, teach his own, just making a suggestion, you know, just be like all gentle like that. And I'm grateful today I'm realizing what he means. Um, the fact that acting out is not an option for me is not something that comes after seven years of sobriety. I will not get sober if acting out is an option. And by his living example, he taught me, he's teaching me how to stay sober one day at a time. And um, I'm grateful for him sharing where he's at seven years into recovery, totally naturally with me, who's not sober. Thank God today I'm sober, but like when we're having this conversation... And he's sharing with me so naturally as if I'm his program buddy like for 17 years. And there's, there's no, he doesn't differentiate that at all. I'm really grateful for that. Um, thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Hi, I'm Eli and I'm a sex addict. We're, thank you, Alan. We're uh, sharing here and uh, going on the premise that uh, spiritual and emotional death is less of a death. And uh, quite obvious to me from Alan's share and from my own experience that it's the spiritual and emotional death that drives a person to want to die physically, which makes it so obvious that that's the preferable death at least when there's a choice. You know, it's a lot more difficult to live dead than to be dead. And uh, and that's, that's what it was like to me, spiritual and emotional death. Living a death Living a spiritual death and pretending to be spiritual, try that. It's really, really difficult. And uh, the progressive nature of this disease, as a result of the, you know, I learned pretty quickly that my problem wasn't sex, my problem was me. And sex was the solution and it worked for a very short amount of time but the problem is that the shame that this quote unquote drug produces uh, requires a higher dosage of the drug and in this disease a higher dosage of the drug is very very dangerous from a spiritual point of view, from a physical, from an emotional point of view, until eventually you find yourself in a place saying, I don't even like doing this. What am I doing here? You know? My pain is so big that I need something so insane and so dangerous to make myself feel better. To me, that sounds like physical death, too. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everybody. John Paul, I'm grateful for recovering sexology. And uh, my heart is filled with joy right now. I, I can't tell you. Uh, to hear some other accents besides the Nashville accent that we hear all the time. <laughs> and talking about recovery. Um, 
this is a great topic. I, I look back and when I was fixing to run my truck into the embankment on the interstate, and I was in the middle of three affairs, a leadership position at my church, making a Christian album, and figured my wife could use the insurance money and I'd be dead, and she wouldn't have to put up with my raggedy butt. Worthless. Insane. Self-esteem, no self-esteem. Terrible. I thought I was the worst person on the earth. And uh, y'all talking about this, the spiritual person. And I'm a person, I've overdosed on cocaine twice and on narcotics once, and I should be dead. I sit in front of the computer for hours looking at porn until I was shaking, and that'd take me two days to come down. You know, this disease has wreaked havoc in my life, mentally and physically. And today, uh, so I have some sobriety and. I just, like I said in my heart, I just came here and I sat down and all of a sudden I'm at the convention and it's like I remember, you know, Jess and Roy and all these people. I've been coming around here for quite a long time and, uh, you know, it's just, it blows my mind, you all coming from all over the place and we have this disease. There's a solution. Solution for me is stay out of resentments. Call people when this stuff. I have a living disease, you know, forgetting disease, and I I, I forget all the time. I'm a sex addict. I don't know about y'all, but I do, man. I'm like, you know, but uh, life is good today, guys. I appreciate everybody coming from long distances to be here uh, today. I want to live. I used not to want to live, and I, I didn't know why, you know. And I've been a sex addict since I was two years old. But you know, there's a—it just my life changed so much. It's just—it's a miracle. God intervened even in my sickest when I was sick and doing stuff that I did. I would go to an affair partner, and I'd be walking in, going, "I don't want to do this, God. Why am I doing this? I don't want to go here. I don't want to go to the, to the porno place." And I'd just go right in. And I'd leave and I'd... How can I stop? I don't want to do this. And then 10 minutes I'd be turned around going back in. Going right back. And, uh, you know, it was a divine intervention. God was there with me right in the midst of all the crap. Picked me up, put me into SA. Said, here's a solution. And... Uh, Thankfully, I kept coming back and kept coming back. Working the steps, got a sponsor. Slip, kept coming back. Working steps, slip, kept coming back. Because I didn't think I was as bad as some people. <laughs> uh, but I kept coming back. And by the grace of God, I'll keep coming back. And keep breathing and... Uh, What'd you say? And stay so. Yeah, keep breathing. I, and I, I like to eat too, so you know. Thanks, man. Thanks, John Paul. Before we close, a few more quotes. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. To be doomed a sexaholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. But in my experience today, 
It's absolutely worth it. Those who are willing, please stand and join hands and let's close with the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to deal with me and do with me as I will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties and get victory over them by bear witness to those of thou help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Hey, Brent, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, Mike still hot. My first essay meeting in June 7, 08. Yeah, that's I'm yeah. grateful yeah. for your yeah. testimony through the years. Oh, what's that? Good. Thank you for coming back. Yeah, I, I would say you were I'm originally from Wisconsin. I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. I've been all over. I've been three and a half years in the middle of my years. Yeah, my name's Wes. I just wanted to thank you. Hey, Wes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you talk, talked about driving home and smoking cigars, yeah. yeah. I hadn't heard of anybody. I thought that was I invented that. That was unique to me. Yeah. I come home, my wife was uh, I even smoking those James cigars again to give me a hard time about it, and I loved it. Yeah. yeah. And I was dying. There he is. Thank you for sharing. Oh, thank you, John. You did a good job. Thank you, sir. You did do a good job. It's all right. Good job, man. Okay, guitar on third. All right, I'll come back. All right, sing it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. This is Al, right? Yeah, Al. Yeah, Alan. Yeah. I see you'll be able to buy a copy of the of all your uh, your you know your technical. They'll have a they'll have a CD for sale. Yeah. So but cool. have some good ones. Right? Yeah, you Ooh, did. The trust guy playing house up other something that. I just yeah. 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 Oh, dig it up, clean it up, keep it up. Yeah, I got a paint there. Yeah. But is that some of that's from the A and uh, all of it's from the A. Okay. That's right. So it'll uh, I'll be able to buy it. Yeah. All the recordings. Yeah. 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 Probably at the end of the night. Okay. Probably that. They'll get it. Go take it. Make copies. Oh, thank you. Now see, Ivan. Yeah, yeah. Even though I, 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 I,
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, your best source for experience, strength, and hope from the SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choose either monthly or a one-time donation. Music was provided by Matt P. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.